In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my co-host, executive producer, and Robin Williams impersonator, Mike Graham. Hey, what are you doing over here? Oh, I gotta go over this way, and then I'm gonna bend up and jump up and down, and I'm gonna go whoop, 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 and then I got a balloon, and I'm gonna go over there, and I got clown shoes on now. Honk, honk. Hey, everybody, my name's Robin Williams, and I got... You gotta stop me, Ryan, please get me out of this. And I'm feeling pretty weird about it. So you please hurry up and chime in so I can stop doing this. Boop, pop, 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 pop. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Robin Williams, famed sound effect per- impersonator. Just does <laughs> random noises. He's, he's known. I'm just, this is just embarrassing. I don't, I don't know why I agreed to this. So it's well, fine. It's well, fine. I, it, it's only appropriate that we, we recognize a, a great actor um and one who unfortunately now is associated very very much so with uh mental health issues in robin williams he is and just doing that made me realize how talented he was Mm -hmm. because i was like before i was like i'm gonna nail this (laughs) (laughs) and then as soon as i started i was like i'm way in over my head it's okay we 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 pulled you out and and that will be our our way of revealing what we're going to be talking about today which is the Awesome movie, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. But before we get into that, Mike, there is one one news story that I wanted to sort of run by you. Um, it was in in the news this week, definitely mental health related. I don't know if you're familiar with the rapper Big Sean. I am not. That's okay. Because, before today, no. Yeah, that's okay. So uh, Big Sean recently came out. It came out this week. Um, he had sort of deleted all his Instagram posts from the past and doing this sort of fresh start thing where he shared very openly about his sort of recent diagnosis and work in therapy and what he attributed to why he hasn't put out some music in a while is because he's been really working on himself. He okay. came out and then sort of shared that he has anxiety and depression, and which is awesome. Obviously, it's good you know, for the community to see uh, people being open about their mental health issues. But I think the the problem that I have is that you know, now when people do this, there's this sort of backlash culture where you see people reacting as like, oh, of course, another rapper or another artist with depression or anxiety issues. Um, yeah. How convenient that, you know, he hasn't put any music out and now this is the reason so he'll get some attention. It's like, it's just the only reason he would say that. Uh, I would hope nobody would do that. That would be what I say. Of course. Of course. And that's not to say that it's not possible that that there are people who might fake anxiety, depression issues for attention. But I think and in some ways I'm reminded of like the Me Too movement where it's like we should on the face of it, we should start out by believing people. Let's no, absolutely. Initially, let's just believe people and then we can sort it out afterwards. Absolutely agreed. And I always say that one of the biggest things you can do for anyone having an issue or suffering from a mental health issue is to just believe them. That's like the number one thing. So if, uh, what's his name? Uh, Big Sean. 
Big Sean, if Big Sean is having these issues, just believe him. And if he wants to make his art about that, well, I mean, that's what he's going to do. He's an artist. He's, he's going to use that outlet to get it out, you know? So I think it's good. Yeah. And just to have someone in the public eye, you know, announcing that they found a good therapist and that they're working on themselves and that they found clarity is such an awesome message. Like part of me doesn't even really care if he's faking it or not, because that's a message that I want everyone to hear. So, you know, uh, and again, I, I absolutely do believe him. Um, we've talked before about how creatives very frequently suffer from anxiety, depression, whether that's yep. the source of his or not is is not really the point. It's just the fact that he shared this part of himself and we should all support him. So thank you to Big yeah, Sean. You yeah. You, ha you also have to think about the fact that it's getting easier to say it now. We know we know at this point that this stuff is way more common than anyone wanted to admit for a long time to themselves or to other people. And now it's to the point where it's okay to say that you're suffering. And here we have an artist who's suffering and saying it. So isn't that isn't that what we want? Yeah. And especially if it leads to him being able to come back and create music, like, isn't that also a great thing? So can't we just be happy for somebody? Um, I just don't really understand the, 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 the backlash or anyone who would accuse people of faking something like this. It's, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because, um, you know, whether, whether people get attention for this or not, it's not something that anybody really wants to have. Nobody wants to have anxiety or depression. So I can, I can attest for that. I had a panic attack today. Yeah, right. Oh, and I'm sorry like, to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Why would anyone want this? This is not cool. Right. It's like it, it, it's like you're embarrassed to be in front of your family when that stuff's happening. So I sure. don't I don't see it. But right. uh, we're going to put hashtag go big Sean. There you go. And and keep talking. I'm now, I'm keep talking about AMH. Keep talking mental health. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. Especially big Sean and, and people uh, like him. So thank you to big Sean and and anyone else in the, the creative community who's willing to be open about their mental health issues. Yeah, thank you. All right, Mike. So with that, let's get started. Let's talk about Goodwill Hunting. You paint that? Yeah. You paint? Mm-mm. Do you sculpt? No. You like art? You like music? It's a real piece of shit. Oh, well, tell me what you really think. Oh, I'm just a the linear and impressionistic mix makes a very muddled composition. It's also a Winslow Homer ripoff, except you got Whitey uh, rowing the boat there. Well, it's odd one, eh? It wasn't very good. That's not really what concerns me, though. What concerns you? It's the coloring. You know what the real bitch of it is? It's paint by number. Is it color by number? Because the colors are fascinating to me. Are they really? What you about that? I think you're about one step away from cutting your fucking hair off. Really? Oh, yeah. I think I should move to the south of France, change my name to Vincent. You ever heard the saying, any port in a storm? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that means you. In what way? Uh, maybe you're in the middle of a storm, a big fucking storm. Yeah. The maybe. sky's falling on your head, the waves are crashing over your little boat, the oars are about to snap. You're just pissing your pants, you're crying for the harbor, so maybe you do what you gotta do to get out. You know, maybe you became a psychologist. Bingo. That's it. Let me do my job now. You start with me. Come on. Maybe you married the wrong woman. Maybe you should watch your mouth. I want you right there, Chief, all right? Uh, 
That's it, isn't it? You married the wrong woman. What happened? What'd she leave you? Was she, you know, banging some other guy? If you ever disrespect my wife again, I will end you. I will fucking end you. Got the chief? Time's up. Today we are covering the 1997 film Good Will Hunting, starring Matt Damon as Will Hunting, Robin Williams as Sean McGuire, and Stellan Skarsgård as Professor Gerald Lambeau. Will Hunting has a genius-level IQ, but chooses to work as a janitor at MIT. When he solves a difficult graduate-level math problem, his talents are discovered by Professor Gerald Lambeau, who decides to help the misguided youth reach his potential. When Will is arrested for attacking a police officer, Professor Lambeau makes a deal to get leniency for him if he will get treatment from therapist Sean McGuire. All right, so that's Good Will Hunting. That is Good Will Hunting. So Short we have, and sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so thank you um, for that lovely little synopsis. We have Matt Damon and Robin Williams in two powerhouse performances that won at least Robin Williams uh, an Academy Award and won Matt and uh, Ben Best Original Screenplay in their first movie. First movie. Yeah. yeah. It's like their first big movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like like this big anyway. Yeah. So, Mike, the, the sort of theme that we're going to hit today, obviously, we're going to talk through about the whole plot. But, you know, for me as a therapist, obviously watching this movie, the theme that I want to tackle is the sort of relationship that Will Hunting and Sean, the therapist, have because it's really interesting, and it obviously it gets a lot of press for the you know it's not your fault, it's not your fault interaction. But it, it's there's a lot of stuff to to sort of dig through here. I did not know it got a lot of press for that scene. Well, it's <laughs> it's this sort of like very stereotypical like healing moment scene <laughs> of like it's a not breakthrough. Your fault. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, obviously, the the whole plot of the movie. But, you know, that sort of like stereotypical breakthrough in therapy. And I don't know, maybe you could if if you you may feel free to disagree. But that's not really what breakthroughs in therapy look like. (laughs) It's not you don't you don't find one little magical key phrase and, and someone starts crying and they hug it out. And one session later, they're all better and they don't need to come back to therapy anymore. Right, right. Well, I think maybe what we should do is start at the beginning and see why they got to that point. Okay, that's a fair point. Then we can figure out whether that was justified or not. Fair enough. See if it earns the if it earns the accolades. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Will Hunting is obviously this genius who solves these crazy math problems, and his genius is basically one of the top two brains on the planet as far as mathematicians are concerned. But he's got a really bad past. He's from the South, uh, South Southie. Boston. Yeah, he's from Southie. He's a Southie. Yep. And he's poor and grew up as an orphan and went through foster homes uh, where he was severely beaten. And I'm talking like very severely beaten. So he's, Yeah, you see he's, pictures of his wounds later on in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so he's got some real issues and lots of very big rage and anger issues. To the point where he winds up in therapy because he decides to start a fight with a kid that beat him up when he was in kindergarten, uh, who's not a kid anymore and is an adult. 
jumps out of the car and, and, you know, all of his buddies join him and you're like, yeah, you know what, you know, good job, buddies, loyal buddies. <laughs> but they, they beat the crap out of these guys and he ends up hitting a cop and getting put into a situation to where the only thing he could do was go to therapy once a week with Sean, who's Ron Williams, and also do math with Professor Lambeau. Well, before we even get to that, he, he goes through a couple of other therapists. That, that's right. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to talk about that. So, yeah. So he goes through a string of therapists before he even gets to see Sean. I mean, for me, I thought it was kind of sad to watch that happen on both ends. So I didn't know what you thought about it. Well, yeah. So, I mean, and the, the way you described it, it almost felt like, you know, he so he goes into therapy and it's like he did not want to go into therapy. I think even when he was presented with the option of his jail time being uh, reprieved. He was like, okay, you know, I'll do your math. I'll do your numbers, your numbers. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to do that the whole time. I, it's, it's really tempting. I just love the Boston accent, <laughs> but, but he's sort of out on the idea of therapy immediately. And, you know, um, I should say Jerry, the, the professor convinces him that that's the only condition of his, of his release essentially is that if he doesn't do therapy, he won't sign off on, on him getting out of jail. Right. Well, and the judge won't. But even when they're in the interrogation room or wherever they're sitting and they mention therapy, you see Will Hunting laugh like, oh, psh, just like you said. But you also see Professor Lambeau kind of give him like the, yeah, it's dumb smile. Well, right. So so there's a lot of perspectives on therapy and, and even um, and I'm trying to remember, maybe you, you noticed something in the scene, but does does Will ever acknowledge to his friends that he's in therapy? No, he doesn't say it quite outright. In fact, he doesn't even acknowledge that he's doing math. He says, I'm, I got to go to counseling twice a week. Yeah. And just leaves it like kind of ambiguous as to what he's doing. Yeah. So, cause that, that was one of the things I picked up on as well. And, and, and understandably so he comes from this rough, poor neighborhood, like the idea of him being in therapy would be, you know, he might be laughed at, he might be joked about, um, it would obviously be taken very lightly. So Will goes into this initial relationship with a therapist who seems pretty, what we refer to as like psychodynamically trained, um, <laughs> the kind of therapist who's going to want to dig into those relationship dynamics that you had as a child and sort of see what the impact of them are today. Um, yeah. you know, very Freudian. Is this the, the hypnotherapist? No, no, no. This is the first therapist. This is the um, one that, that will then comes out as uh, sort of very uh, obstinate and accusatory of that therapist being gay. Um, that's oh, the first therapist oh, yes. that he sees. That's right. That's right. And, and, the, and him and the therapist basically walks out of that session saying, like, this guy's a maniac. I'm not going to work with him, especially not pro bono. Right. Yeah. So he's going through all these different therapists. And this one, though, this guy, I got it. This guy. First off, he pissed me off. The first guy. Yeah. Okay. So he, he, he actually made me angry on, on a level of that a movie guy can make me angry. OK. But he at first he's funny and played by a great actor like this guy's nailing this part. Uh, and he uses the word ballyhoo. So if anybody doesn't know ballyhoo, because I'd never heard it, it's fantastic. I'm going to put it into my lexicon starting today. <laughs> but uh, Will, you know, he does get obstinate and he's obviously just trying to get out of these situations. And so he decides to escalate the situation and call this guy gay. And then the next thing you know, he storms out of the room, uh, walking by the sexy math professor who's lounging on the the Ottoman with his leg up talking to a young student mm -hmm. <laughs> about math. Yep. And anyway, he walks out and says, 
I don't know anyone who can help that raving lunatic. And then he storms off. So that was pretty upsetting to see. And like, I don't know of any therapists who would act that way. Uh, you know, you signed up for this. What, did, what are you expecting to see in your office? Uh, sure. Fair, fair question that a therapist should be able to handle a, a patient, even one who is sort of uh, sarcastic, aggressive verbally to a certain extent, attempts to distract from the reason that he's in therapy. Yes, a therapist should be able to handle that. I mean, what would you do? In the situation where in real life, yeah, in your office mm -hmm. and someone in there, it, they don't want to be in there and they are there via the courts and they escalate a situation and are accusing you of things and actually attacking you personally, like with their words. Yeah. And that's, I guess, where we're coming down to. And this, this happens later on with Sean as well. Robin, the therapist that Robin Williams plays. And that is, you know, the therapist's ability to sort of stay in the moment and be able to have that awareness of what the patient is doing and sort of what it says about how they feel. So, you know, I probably offer a very simple reflection statement like, oh, well, I, I can tell that you're obviously interested in, in my background, in my maybe my qualifications. You know, I get the sense that maybe you're not maybe not trusting of me being able to help you or, you know. Maybe you obviously don't want to be here. That much is clear. But, you know, is there a way we can talk about, you know, whether or not I can help you without you wanting to ask me oddly personal questions? Right. So it's being able to acknowledge that he's trying to distract from the, the purpose that they're both there and redirecting back to the work, redirecting back to the reason that that uh, Will is in the room. Yeah. Would there ever be a situation where you just stormed out? Would that be even be possible or would you be able to kind of, you know, duck and dive throughout whatever they're throwing at you. I would say if certainly if a patient showed any aggression to the point of uh, expressing intent to harm themselves, myself or anyone else, the, the session would certainly take a quick turn, you know, at that point. Um, I'm trying to think in my sort of history, if I've ever just like stopped a session, nothing really comes to mind. You know, I've had, um, you know, certainly when I worked in addiction, sometimes you'd have patients who are actively high. Oh, yeah. Which is a challenge on its own because you want to be able to engage with them. But if they're either unable or unwilling to, you know, actually make use of the time, then it's like, okay, acknowledge the reality of the situation. It seems like you might be under the influence right now. If this is not a good time to meet, let's talk about a time in which you might be, you know, more capable of, of sort of using our time effectively. But I'm never just going to kick somebody out. I'm never going to call somebody crazy or, you know, um, whatever it is the yeah. therapist says. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty radical that he would call him a raving lunatic as yeah. a professional. Yeah, I agree. Especially I agree. within your within distance. Yeah, no question. No question. And then, you know, a certain amount of this is, um, you know, it was, it was interesting to me, obviously, because this is taking place on uh, in the movie, at least in the on the campus of MIT. Right. And as as evidenced by the language that you <laughs> pointed out that this therapist uses, um, you know, he's this therapist is probably used to a very different sort of clientele. Now, that doesn't excuse his response, but, you know, to go from, you know, patients who are struggling with their uh, physics thesis to then to have Will Hunting in your office who accuses him of being gay, you know, that's going to be a little bit of a shock to his typical working relationship. Yeah. Again, not excusing his his behavior, but just to acknowledge that, you know, therapists are human too. 
And when um, buttons are pushed, and this this may have been a button for this particular therapist, they can they can decide to end the session. And I certainly know therapists who have for different reasons, but sure, but it doesn't excuse the sort of uh, name calling stuff for sure. Okay, I think we should acknowledge too is you work in the the town of Princeton, New Jersey. Yes, so close to the college, so you actually do see like a quite a few. Like high level educated students. Yes, that's fair to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was just saying you kind of can relate to where this is happening. I can. Yeah. Um, to the, to that degree. And, but I think what also needs to be pointed out and why we're also sort of critical of a therapist like that is that, you know, I also work with families and I also work with children and you, you, I would say in general, therapists need to be able to be flexible, um, to be able to respond to those different sort of patient interactions, you know, that's where you're going to get the the best results. So, so yeah. that's the first therapist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Next therapist is he, I mean, they basically are setting it up to where you're going through a few, a little montage. Only, yeah. Yeah. Montage. But the, the main ones they show and the next one is the hypno guy, right? Yes. Okay. So he's laying on the couch and they change to the next scene. He's laying on the couch and the guy, is he waving a watch? No, he's just having Will Hunting sort of close his eyes and, and go back through his and memories, visualize his past traumatic experiences. And as Matt Damon is, as Will Hunting is doing that, it becomes clear that he's just sort of making something up and and being very sarcastic with the hypnotherapist to just sort of pull his leg. And when it when it becomes obvious, the therapist again storms out and sort of ends the session, gives up on on Will. Okay, two things struck me about this scene. Yeah, sure. One, oh no, three things actually. Okay. One being, the therapist was going to this really deep stuff in his in the therapist's mind. He thinks he's getting into this this guy really deeply. Yep. But he just is having these two guys sit behind him because Professor Lambeau and his teacher's assistant was sitting just in the room, like for these incredibly revealing secrets. It's like, yeah, how yeah. uncomfortable could you make a patient, you know? So that, that says a lot about Professor Lambeau, right? Is that he won't even give Will any sort of privacy or confidentiality in his initial attempts to get treatment. I'm not sure how you could expect anybody to initiate a therapeutic relationship if the person that they're depending on for their freedom is also going to be in the room. So I had a huge problem with that. Um, it immediately set off warning signs for not just confidentiality, but, you know, patient comfort, patient safety in the room. Yeah. I don't know how he expects him to, to like latch on to this therapist if he's going to be mon- he's not going to say anything. But the other thing I had was when he left, when he did storm out, he did. I thought it was pretty, pretty middle average, like acceptable what he said. Like so, this he didn't storm out. He didn't call him this raving loony. I thought that if a therapist was going to end the session, this would be the appropriate way to do it because Will. Uh, was pretending to be hypnotized and then start singing afternoon delight to like basically say F you to everybody. Yes. And so the therapist stands up and says, see ya, you know, and he says, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have time for this. And I thought, you know, as a patient of therapy, that was acceptable to me. Like if I had done that to a therapist and they walked out, I would be like, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's about right. Well, and, and to be frank, that's what will wants to happen. He's doing this on purpose. Um, and that, that both connects to his sort of psychological history. Obviously he has this, this tendency to push people away, but he also does not want to be in therapy. 
So if he feels like he can sort of fake it, at least to the degree that Jerry's going to allow him to continue not being in jail, he's right. inclined to do that. So Yeah, he thinks if he gets enough, gets rid of enough therapists, then Jerry will eventually just say, well, I'll just sign off on you and we can just do the math. Maybe, yeah. That's that's certainly a logical um, you know, explanation for his behavior in that situation. Yeah, so I, I got to say on the on the hypnotherapy, it's it's I think to say the least a sort of controversial therapeutic approach. Personally, I I have not worked with any hypnotherapists. I, I can't say that I know a lot about the approach, so speaking on it in general should be off bounds. But but I just I have to say um, I I don't, and it's funny because I and I've said on the show before I'm a huge advocate of EMDR which has its own sort of like hypnotic qualities to it. And and to be fair, in the session that the therapist is conducting with Will, he's not like doing the stereotypical like watch this watch go back and forth, like I'm quote unquote putting you under. He's more doing like a visualization technique, which is pretty common, frankly, and in, in even in non-hypnotherapy interactions. But in general, hypnotherapy is is something that's, I would say at least today, not like a... Like, so let me, let me restate a hypnotherapist that would not be one of the first three therapists that you would see <laughs> if you were trying to experience different types of therapy. Let me just put it that way. Well, I mean, I guess you don't want to comment too, too much on it, but from my perspective for hypnosis, I think I would try it if it came to the point. I would try it. I'm, I'm curious. I, I, I don't for the record, believe that I'm like susceptible to hypnosis. Is that, <laughs> is that sort of what we're talking about? Right? Like I have no idea if it actually works or if, if what I think it's claiming to do is actually possible. So yeah. if it's, if it's more, what we saw in the movie where it's just, you know, sort of eyes closed visualization, being able to put yourself in, in different memories and experiences, totally fine with that. But as soon as it sort of goes into being sort of under the influence of of hypnotizing then i start to uh, kind of get very confused and unsure if we're actually in the therapeutic yeah, realm anymore it seems yeah it so, seems yeah okay so he gets through these people and it seems like he's never going to find a therapist and finally uh professor lambeau says i'm going to call my old friend at college from back in my college days and he's the last resort you know and that's sean and uh, Robin Williams, and they they finally get him in to see Robin Williams, and we have their first interaction, and that's that's kind of where this begins, where it gets a little unsure, I guess. Well, so right, so at least initially, I had some really, I was really impressed with Robin Williams as therapist. Right, we first meet him, and he's a, a basically a psychology teacher for a community college, so we we have this sense that he's, you know, got good credentials at the very least. He's teaching. This is something that he can, he can do. And then the, the second thing that he does is that he immediately asks Jerry and the assistant to leave. So we're thinking, great, right? Um, immediately establish trust, confidentiality. Um, it's just you and me. Let's, you know, have a real trust building relationship. And we have to acknowledge, too, the fact that uh, Lambeau brought them together because they're both from... Southie. They were both Southies. Yeah. He's, he's from where you are essentially is what Jerry yeah. says. Yeah. And you know, if there's one thing I have a problem with that sort of initial presumption is that like, Oh, so all you have to do is match up a therapist with a, 
with a patient <laughs> who has a similar background and then that like unlocks the key. That may be true for some people, but I would say in general, it's it's not required for a therapist to have any similar background as a patient for the therapeutic, therapeutic relationship to be effective. So. so basically what ends up happening in this first meeting is, well, Will is still just being obstinate about everything and he's trying to get rid of another therapist. However, uh, Sean is a little more staunch and going to hold his ground just because it seems like that's the kind of guy he is. And Robin Williams perfectly cast for it because he's kind of like that short, stocky, going to stand his ground. They end up uh, just kind of talking about books. And basically, Matt Damon is just trying to slam him at every turn and insult him all over the place. And then he sees a painting on the wall and he goes up and he's, you know, he's dogging the painting and saying how horrible the painting it is. And Sean was actually the one that painted it. And then he gets to the point where he says, oh, you married something about you married the wrong woman. Is that what this painting says? You married the wrong woman. Because she died. Because she yeah. died. Right. Yeah. And that's when it switched. The therapist then acknowledged. He said, don't talk about my wife that way. So basically gives him a warning and then he and then Will right. keeps going. Yeah. So it was a very real like it, it, he switched from therapist to Sean. In that moment, like that click. And then Matt Damon goes ahead and, and really instigates it and starts kind of yelling it at him. And that's when Sean rushes at him. He grabs Will by the throat and slams him against the wall. And he says, don't ever talk about my wife again or I will end you. And they end the session. So. <laughs> yeah, Will Will walks out, right? Yeah. But then, and then after that. You know, Jerry comes in, you know, what happened? And Sean says he'll see him same time next week. So it's just like right. a, a whirlwind of a first session. Now, Mike, I don't know about you. Um, if a therapist ever put their hands on me in any way, shape or form that I was uncomfortable with, I sure as hell would not see them next week. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be calling the police. <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. I so mean, it, it's tough because it's like, OK, so we know that Sean was sort of primed to recognize that this kid was from the same neighborhood. So is Sean essentially trying to make a show of force that like, look, I'm not someone to be messed with. I'm, I'm the same. I'm, I'm you basically. And if, if you don't want to go to jail, I'm your only ticket kind of thing. Right. Like this is our language. Yeah, I guess. But I, you know, therapist and doctor 101 do no harm. I have a hard time thinking uh, uh, a choking incident is is falling underneath that. So, and it happened very quickly, and and I just thought that he just kind of unmasked himself so quickly, and like let himself be vulnerable. So I was just like wondering if it's you and you're in your office, and you have let's say you have someone attack your daughter. You know, verbally, verbally, say, <laughs> sure, yeah, verbally. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Say something terrible about your daughter multiple yeah. times to where it's really, really going to send you over the edge. Like, how do you handle that situation in real life? Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of similar to what we were talking about before, where he was accusing the the therapist of, of being gay. Right. Where it's like this very sort of inflammatory, intentionally, you know, uh, attention seeking sort of statement where he wants Sean to kick him out. He wants Sean to not want to do therapy with him. Right. You know, as I said before, for me, it's all about what's happening in the room is a representation of, you know, what the patient does outside the room. So if Will is trying to make a statement about me or somebody in my family, 
it's clear that he is trying to distract from why we're really there and that, you know, he wants me to push him away. So where he doesn't have to quit, but I actually fire him. Um, and it's a very sort of immature, adolescent, childish behavior. And I, I might I might call that out. You know, I might say, you know, listen, you have to be here for this, you know, kind of get out of jail free situation. But you're it seems like you're making it impossible for this working relationship to get started. Like, what's that about? And I basically, to be honest, would pay almost no attention to the fact that he made a statement about my daughter because okay. it's it's not about me. It's not about my daughter. It's about him not wanting to trust me, not wanting to let me in and frankly, not wanting to be vulnerable. So by making inflammatory statements or actions, he's trying to keep me at bay. And the best thing that a therapist can do is to not feed in to those um, provocations and to just say, look, man, I'm a solid object. You can't move me. I'm here. We're going to do work if you're willing to. And if you're not, you can show yourself the door. You can quit and you can send yourself back to jail, but I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. Wow. So, so that's, that's me. Um, what would your, what would your opinion be if you heard of or knew of a colleague that had such, I guess, thin skin that they would snap like that? I mean, that would be like, you shouldn't be doing this, right? Yeah, for sure. I'd be very concerned about their patients because, you know, so that's a really good example. Um, and we can do a quick primer on what countertransference is or transference. Ooh. Um so countertransference is from the therapist when the relationship with the patient uh, reminds them of, let's say, their own history of uh, relationships or relationship dynamics, and then they start acting that out within the session. So if someone had insulted Sean's wife before or said something inflammatory that, that was uh, triggering for Sean before, now he's acting out that sort of dynamic in the room with the patient. So that's countertransference. Oh, wow. Transference is um, also on, on display and in, is in, in Will's interactions with Sean in that Will wants a father figure. He wants someone that he can talk to in a safe way. Once his, his guard is down, he starts opening up about these things, but it's sort of inconsistent. So he, he wants to feel safe, but he also pushes it away because he's not sure he can feel safe. So this sort of transference that happens from Will's side is treating Sean very little like a therapist and very much like a guy from the neighborhood or someone that he would like to be his dad. After, after all this stuff happens, Sean does something that I thought was right. And that was, like we said, he stands his ground. He kept standing his ground. And Will, Will walks out of the room thinking he's going to never see him again. But Sean says, I'll see you next Thursday at four o'clock. And he does. And he comes back in. But this time, he doesn't say anything. He's going to wait for Will to talk in the next session. And it doesn't happen. And then the next session, it doesn't happen. So they're, they're kind of going through this mental battle. And even Professor Lambeau says, what are you guys doing? Like a schoolyard stare off? And Sean says, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. I, I guess I, I was wondering, <laughs> have you ever been in a situation where you were just like, I'm not going to say anything. I have to wait for this person to talk. Is that an approach that's realistic? Because I think because I think Matt Damon respects the fact that he stood his ground and came back to the session. So now Will, excuse me, Will is now ready to at least sit. So in a lot of ways, the relationship between Sean and Will is like a, a microwaved version of therapy that 
a lot of things that do happen in a therapeutic relationship all just happen to to happen in the course of what, oh, like yeah. six to eight sessions. Yeah. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, so it's like you're trying to play the hits of what therapy looks like. Yeah. Um, Top 40. In, yeah. In a, in a one to maybe one to two month time span. So, yeah. So in that session, Sean uses silence as a tool to sort of both show Will that he's not just going to make it easy for him, but that he's also not going anywhere. So it's it's on will to use the time so to answer your question have i i've I've never done a whole session uh, of silence um, but it absolutely is a tool that therapists use to put the onus on the patient to to drive why they're there and it's a tool that that therapists i i would say you know just from being in supervision sometimes are very uncomfortable with you know people have therapists who as soon as there's a, a a drop of silence, like feel the need to ask a question or feel the need to uh, sort of expound on the themes of the session so far. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying, and, and like in my experience, I've had uh, therapists that talk a lot. I guess talk a lot, but not like to me. They're but you're right. They're just wrapping around whatever I'm saying and con- continually expounding on it. But I've also had ones where I'm like, do they know how to speak? You know, do can they talk? But yeah, so it's like there's there's a lot of interesting interactions, and I, I want to say the session even before the silent one where they actually conduct it in public. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They have a session out on a park bench. I can't say I know any therapists that do sessions in public. Um, Which I actually I enjoyed that. So so yeah so and and this is a theme for me where. Robin Williams as a therapist is some people's. I won't say everyone's. But like he's some therapist and probably some patients like idealized version of what a therapist would be. It's like, oh, we get to be friends and we'll go outside and he'll we'll have these really powerful revealing moments and it'll all be done in one to two months and then we'll hug and I won't have to see him ever again. Epiphany. I'll, I'll write letters. Yeah. I'll epiphany and everything's better. And and it all happened in six to six to eight weeks. And and how easy was that? Easy peasy. Yeah. Um, thanks, Robin Williams, for for fixing all my lifetime of problems. And it's just not that real, Mike. It's not that's not what therapy is. And I'm sure you can attest no, to some of that. It's, but it's, not. Um, it's a long, it's a long, grueling thing. In fact, you don't in six to eight weeks with a therapist, you don't even really know each other at that point. They're just seeing the surface stuff. They haven't, they haven't gotten to the, it takes a long time to get to where you are, are really, really saying the things that are deep down bothering you. So it's a very common question of like, how long does therapy take? And there's no one answer to it. You can, if you ask an insurance company, like how many sessions will they authorize right off the bat? It might be, you know, three to six months worth. And then after that, they, they kind of need additional authorizations in some cases, so there's that example, but I've had patients who I've, I've been seeing now for two plus years, and that's just a reality for them is that their symptoms either are recurrent or the, the sort of history of trauma or other issues is, is so intense that simply having a, an epiphany session where they're all better, like uh, Sean and Will have, is just not realistic to the, not their history. Right. Right. So that's one of the bigger problems I have with this is that yeah, they play the hits of what a therapeutic relationship looks like, but it's it's this like they don't play the filler. 
Yeah, exactly. And realistically, look, they're, they're not going to play the filler in a movie. So we have to sort of reconcile with that. Yeah. But I wish there was some more hint of like, oh, we get a changing seasons. Oh, they've obviously been seeing each other for a year. Like some yeah. indication of the amount of time it takes to get to where Will comes to by the end of the movie. Right. Well, yeah. And on that park bench, he actually kind of has this. It's like Robin Williams' big monologue of the movie. He has this like three minute speech that he gives to Will and basically he's insulting him the whole time. Will has to deal with it. He has to stay there. So it's kind of like he's forcing him to listen to insults. So I just I just don't think that would ever be appropriate in any situation. Right. But then it's like, again, this thing of is that just where they're both they're both from this rough and tumble neighborhood. This is just how people interact with each other and and they connect on that level. Is the magic therapist just know exactly what to say, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, so right. So so Will actually acknowledges that, that, that Sean talks more than any shrink he's ever seen in his life. So it's this problem, again, as we're talking about the therapeutic relationship, how much should a therapist talk? And and you'll see a lot of different opinions on this. I don't know, Mike, what, what do you think? I'll, I'll be happy to share my thoughts, obviously, but... I don't care how much a therapist talks, as long as they're talking to me. And what I mean by as that... As opposed to about their own stuff? That would be, well, and I actually don't mind that. Okay. As long as it's not. Because obviously Sean does a lot of self-disclosure. He does way too much. And I was actually about to mention that. He's always Mm -hmm. talking about his own problems. And it's like, that's not how I, that's not how we relate. Like, I don't need to hear all of your problems. However, just as like a regular person in therapy, I want my therapist to care about me as a person, not as a patient. As, as someone, how do I put this? Like, not like we're friends, but just that they know me. They know that I'm Mike. I'm coming to see them. They know the things that I do. Uh, They don't have to look down at their clipboard all the time to remind themselves of my life and that they take an actual interest in not just my emotional well-being, but just like my general life. Like, you know, I'm a podcaster and I, I play music and I edit and stuff like how's the editing going you know that kind of stuff uh and and to talk back in conversational style if that makes sense so that would be the actually you know who the perfect therapist is it's ryan engelstad oh all right (laughs) um (laughs) well I, 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 i won't claim to agree with that statement but i will say that it does feel like Sean talks a lot. Um, when I ask my patients about previous interactions with therapists, they have one of the number one complaints that I hear is that the therapist talked too much or that the therapist talked too much about their own stuff. Really? That like if a patient started a story, it would remind the therapist of something that they experienced and the therapist would go on about, you know, something that they could relate to. And that's always very sad and also concerning to me because you know, obviously the focus should be on the patient and who's in the room. And while self-disclosure is a tool that therapists can use to uh, sort of impart skills or experiences that could be useful in the context of the patient, it's it's like something that should be used sparingly at best. How do you make a patient feel like, I guess, special or heard or like you are a part of their life? Like, how do you make them feel like this is a unique thing that's happening. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do my best to answer that. Um, it's tough because, uh, of course, I want to make the patient feel 
uh, heard and validated, number one, no question. But to say I want, you know, the patient to feel like I'm, a, I'm an important part of their life, I don't know, because I, I one of the things I emphasize to my patients is my goal is to get them to not need me anymore. Yeah. So, and I, I don't say that to say that I want them to leave as soon as possible, but I say that to like, that's what success looks like. Yeah. Where our relationship can end in a healthy, comfortable way and we can go our separate ways. That doesn't mean that I don't have people that, that complete treatment and then come back. I certainly have. Yeah. Um, and, but that's never a bad thing. That's never a, a, a indictment against them or a failure. It's just, Hey, I thought we could kind of get back together and sort of talk about some of these issues that have come back up. So I, I don't, to a certain extent, I don't want to be a special part of their life. I just want to be in their life to help them going through whatever is happening in that moment and to be there only as long as I have to be. Yeah. I think that's hard because for a patient, when they form a relationship with a therapist, it's like this person that you've spent a year, a year and a half with, however long that you've been seeing them before you get to a point where they think you can move on or, or drop down in sessions or anything like they've carried you out of the ashes, you know, for sure. So, well, so, okay. So I to guess you, they're not yeah. just a person doing a job. Like they are a part of your life. Yeah. And to even think about a therapist thinking that they don't see you as a part of their life is like slightly upsetting. A little bit. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, that's totally fine. Um, but so, and that's, and that's, I guess what I even challenge the statement that you said is like, I don't want a patient to feel like I've carried them out of the ashes. I want a patient to feel like I've walked next to them as they've walked themselves out of the ashes. Correct. Correct. Yes. Like yes. I, I am not a savior. I am not a, a person who cures or frankly, even a person who fixes like I'm, you are an expert on yourself. You know, I am the instrument through which you sort of relearn how to make your own life work and you practice with me and until you feel like you can do it on your own. Right. Um, so it's not that it's not that my patients are not special to me or that because I'll be honest, I, I think about my patients all the time. So, you know, inside and outside of work and, and, and that's not even totally healthy, if I'm being honest. But but that's real. That's honest. I think most therapists would tell you that that a certain amount of that does come right. home with you. Because you so, have to you have to as a therapist, like, I guess, is it marginalized? You have to, like, put things into squares. Compartmentalize. Yeah, yeah for compartmentalize. sure. I, ha I have to be able to go home and not carry other people's trauma with me. Otherwise, I, was, I wouldn't be able to do the job. So and, and I recognize that I may be coming off a little cold here that, that I don't want the relationship to be, quote unquote, special. But. I want the relationship to be focused on, you know, the person's experience, um, yeah. not my role in changing that experience. Does that make sense? No, it does. It absolutely makes sense. And and by the way, I'm I'm a hundred percent open here to to feedback, criticism. Um, I have no problem with that. And, and and the reality is, a lot of therapists differ in this regard. Right. Well, that's why we that's why we do this show is to yeah. To see, like, we're bouncing this back and forth off each other, and it's like, from my perspective, I'm thinking this one thing, but you explain it that way, and I'm like, I mean, this makes total sense. Like, my therapist can't go home and, you know, put a picture of me in her wallet. <laughs> nope. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I hope not. Put it, put it on her nightstand. <laughs> oh, Mike, I hope you get better today. Yeah, but, yeah. 
Okay, okay. So so next up we have going forward with Will and Sean. So we're talking about this dynamic that Will and Sean have. Sean talks a lot, right? But it, it graduates from there because Sean eventually challenges Will to focus on the good stuff, focus on the important stuff, why Will is actually in therapy. You know, Will tries to kind of sidetrack sessions by either getting Sean to talk about his own stuff. You know, they have... Uh, uh, tangents in which they talk about the Red Sox and all these different right. kinds and the of things. the first time he met his wife, and which is all very moving. Yep, no question. Um, but yeah, Sean confronts Will about that he's not really talking about what matters. Sean asks Will if he's ever experienced the sort of abuse that Will has um, in a sort of sideways way. And, and right. Sean figures out that he's basically asking if, if he's ever been abused. And Sean admits that he was abused by his alcoholic father. Will relates and then shares his some of his own traumatic experiences. You know, one of his right. uh, foster fathers put out a, I think it was a wrench, a stick, and a belt or something to that degree, yep. and said yep. choose. So Will, you know, said he chose the wrench because screw him basically. And now we're in this pivotal moment where Sean says the magic words. Yeah. He says, you know, he says, Will, it's not your fault. And and we see kind of Will brush it off the first two or three times. I like, yeah, I know. And Sean says it again and again and again. And then Will breaks down. Breaks down big time. Yeah, breaks down big time. He's sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And they come in this big hug, this big embrace as Will cries and cries and cries. Right. And in this relationship, too, has pro- progressed. And if you, if you pay close attention, in this moment really shows it. It's like the full moment. When Sean first meets Will, he calls him Chief. Then he starts calling him Sport, and by the end, he's calling him Son. Yeah. And then we have the big revelation, and we have father and son hugging in a big cry session. Yeah. And part of me says, man, that therapist cares about him. And then part of me says, this relationship is completely inappropriate, and this should not be a professional relationship in any form. So I, I don't know where to put my stake, I guess. No, it's okay. But I think that's that's where I come from in the sort of idealized version of a therapist. It's like, I do think on some level, all patients would like a therapist. Maybe not all, I won't say all, but a lot of people would like a therapist like Sean, where, you know, they're going to help him get to this moment of this, this epiphany and they are going to feel cared for and like they can hug and cry in comfort and without fear of judgment or or consequence. And for the record, I, I know there are therapists who do hug and, and embrace in, in the moments like this. I hug my patients if we're finalizing treatment and if the patient initializes the hug. I, okay. I will never initialize uh, any physical contact other than maybe a handshake upon an introduction. So if a, um, if a patient yeah. was in a session and was bawling and then came over to hug you, you would hold them? <sighs> Man, that would be tough. I, I can't say I've been in that specific situation. Right. Like, if as a, a patient, patient, I wouldn't, I would not reach out for that hug. Right. I've cried in an office and I didn't go try to hug them, but I'm... Right. So, I guess, man, I guess if a patient was mid-balling and just, like, came over and hugged me, kind of like what, do, what Will does, just yeah. like, you know, Sean's not offering a hug necessarily, Will just comes in. In that moment, I would probably accept the hug because 
that patient in that moment needs to not be rejected. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? But then after that, I would want to talk about what that was like for them. Um, and not not to criticize or or point out anything wrong that they did, but what was important about that moment that they felt that they needed that hug? Can we talk about, you know, what that's like for you and what this relationship means to you? Not right. not what I mean to you, but like what it's like to have a person that you can trust and that you can feel this vulnerable with. So making it again not about me, the therapist, but right. the bigger the bigger point here. Because that hug could mean from a real life person, as it does for Will, that hug could mean you're the only one. Safety. Yeah, no question. Even if it is this person that my insurance is paying for or I'm paying for, we've worked through this out and now I'm bawling and I'm finally having this revelation and I I have nobody else. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever been comfortable enough to be vulnerable with this with another person, especially an older male. So it's actually very important for me to be able to come in and have this embrace. So so again, I mean, and we can think of it in the sense of like male bonding in this um, neighborhood and this these types of relationship that these guys have that 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 was something between essentially friends that would probably happen where two guys could hug it out like brothers like friends um right so sean is able to fit that role for him in that moment what did you think about like i said the relationship built up from the chief sport to son now we have this like father-son thing and it's pretty clear that sean like loves will he he's like because he's grieving too like we didn't go a lot into sean's grief with his wife Right. He has a ton of grief issues that he should be in therapy for. He is now like forcing this, this not forcing it, but really just all in on this relationship with Will. And he's like loving him. I mean, I don't know. Should Sean be a therapist anymore? Well, it's a, it's a fair question. And actually at the end of the movie, he kind of goes on a little vacation, right? He, he leaves. (laughs) Yeah. So, so maybe he recognizes some of his own stuff that, you know, yes, that relationship with Will was very important, but that maybe he needs to do some soul searching on his own. Um, if he's going to continue in this career, if, if I'm, let's say Sean's supervisor and Sean has just shared with me all of his interactions with Will, I would probably encourage him if he's not already in therapy to be in therapy and that, you know, supervision is going to be very important while working in this patient because it's clear. It's so clear that countertransference is a major issue within this therapeutic relationship. Right. It's tough. Yeah. But then we get, uh, we get to the, the magic ending. Well, yeah. So, so and this is my <laughs> the magic biggest, therapist and the magic my other ending. big problem, right? Is that we have this epiphany, this, this magic words session, and then the next session is the last session. Yeah. Yep. 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 He's he's done. He's good. He's, he's healed. Ready. He, he literally says, he said, that's it. You're done. You're a free man. I have cured you, <sighs> is basically what he's saying. Because and it was written by people who never went to therapy. I know. I know. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Um, maybe. We don't know for sure. But the idea that you can have an epiphany session and then the next session is your last session is, is just riddled with problems because... You know, realistically, and Mike, you you know this, even if you have an epiphany session that's like, oh, I, I figured it out. I, I came to terms with my trauma. I, 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 I accept myself, whatever it is. There's still 
the fact that the symptoms still exist. Oh, absolutely. There's still, you know, even if he has this perfect job, you know, he still has a relationship that he's never really been comfortable committing to. That's going to continue to have issues. He's going to continue to need therapy, Mike. Oh, yeah. No, like he should go for quite a while. I, I think that Will has the like wherewithal to to work on it and get to a place to where he maybe wouldn't need therapy at some point. But six to eight weeks is is not right. And what I can say as far as therapy, when you have an epiphany session, if you have an epiphany session, it's huge, right? And I've had a few, but they don't happen often. Like you work right. to these epiphany sessions. Yeah. Your therapist is letting you babble on forever. Then all of a sudden you come to the self-realization that whatever it is, and then you're like, oh, you know, and then maybe you cry or maybe you have a panic attack or something like that happens. What I, in my experience, the next session is normally a complete crash after an epiphany. Yeah, sometimes, for sure. So I'm not going to walk into my therapist's office one week later and be like, hey, it's been good knowing you. Like, I'm like, at that point, it's like you just hit this epiphany and there's no way to seal it in unless you keep learning what you just learned. Like you keep practicing it. I totally agree. Well, for the record, it's sort of not clear. I mean, Sean, it seems, is the one is initiating the resolution of treatment. Um, I think Will would probably continue treatment if he weren't following Skylar out to California. Yep. But it makes it a lot easier to follow Skylar out because his therapist essentially dismisses him. Yeah. And I think that's my other problem with like the therapist as savior thing is, while I agree with you that I think Will would recognize the value of therapy and would hope to continue elsewhere. I also worry that if he has now this expectation of what therapy is supposed to be, that any other therapist is going to fail to compare to Sean. Yeah. And that if, if he doesn't have someone that challenges him and that he can relate to, is he going to stick with them? And my fear is that he probably wouldn't. Oh no, he absolutely wouldn't. Absolutely wouldn't. He would go back to doing the rejecting of therapists. Yeah. Sort of playing with them and calling them names and stuff. Yeah. Like he, for whatever reason, you know, because Sean was the magic therapist, he, you know, knew all of his buttons to push and did it just right. But yeah. So, so that's kind of where the, the therapeutic relationship context of this movie ends is, you know, Sean goes riding off into the sunset, having saved his patient. Will goes uh, and chases Skylar out to California. And as far as we know, this is like everybody lives happily ever after. Happily we don't ever get to see after. anything else. Yeah. I mean, I have predictions. <laughs> oh, please. Prediction. He goes to California. Within a month, he gets into that same argument with his girlfriend that he got into when he punched the wall about uh, basically his issues with people loving him and whether they're going to stay around. That's going to happen immediately. Then he's going to be back in Southie working construction with Chucky within a month and a half. That's my prediction. Which is fine with me. I mean, they are a great group of four guys. They loved each other. Yeah, so. yeah, he did have true. a family, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't like to predict things for my patients or anyone else's, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm concerned that what we've painted as this solution is going to be temporary at best. That we there might be what we call like a pink cloud effect, where Will's doing really well for a period of time but maybe they start talking about marriage or maybe they start talking about having kids or, you know, maybe Will's job is not as fulfilling as he thought it would be. And he just wants to go back to works construction. 
And there are going to be issues with how he handles that that life adjustment and how he handles commitment or or choosing not to commit. So yeah, he he is someone that would definitely continue to need therapy. And I my hope would be that he is willing to work with anyone, even if that person isn't from Southie and, you know, doesn't choke him in the first session. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan, we have to do our ratings. Okay. We got to do it. I think we got through it. And if you haven't listened to the show before, Ryan and I rate the thing we're covering every week on a scale of one to five. Some things, Ryan does it on the scale of accuracy, and I do it on the scale of how much I like something. Ryan, what do you got? So it's a tough one for me because, as I said, you know, even if there's a microwaved version of therapy, it is therapy. There are real things that happen between Sean and Will that happen in therapy sessions. But I'm supposed to rate on realism. And the therapeutic relationship that Will and Sean have, even if it is technically possible, the, the way in which they go from introduction to epiphany to conclusion is so unrealistic for me that I'm forced to give this um, a, a two out of five. How you like them apples? Ah, two. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. I was not, I knew you were going to not be five. Yeah. I just, it, it's, it's hard because I, I you know, and I know you're going to rate how good this movie is, but it, it's, I don't know. Maybe we'll come back. Maybe I'll watch it again and then it'll go up. But this is just not what therapy looks like. There are parts of it that that represent therapy. What are the um, part? What do you think the parts that represented therapy the best? A therapist challenging their patient to um, sort of go deeper than the surface level things that they're talking about. Totally on point. Absolutely happens. Probably happens in a majority of therapeutic relationships. The use of silence might not be a whole session, but absolutely happens in therapeutic relationships. Self-disclosure, not to the extent that Sean does it, but in general, absolutely happens in therapeutic relationships. But, you know, uh, I certainly hope that physical assault is not a part of anyone else's <laughs> therapeutic relationship. And and I, I honestly also hope that, you know, even though it feels like Will and Sean have this very close connection, that I would hope a therapist wouldn't be so open and so revealing it's it's hard for me revealing yeah i guess i mean it's okay again it's okay for self-disclosure self-disclosure is a very useful tool in therapy but he's like trying to have matt or will like be his therapist yes it it absolutely does feel that way sometimes so i get it he sort of welcomes the discussion and that's not what therapy is supposed to be about yeah so two out of five how you like them apples (laughs) All right, I got to do mine, and I'm doing one out of five ballyhoos. Uh, guys, it's five. Everyone knows this is a five. This movie's amazing. Um, am- I'm going to say amazing actors just all around, down to even some of the extra- extras they picked. They're all great yeah, actors. Yeah, I love I Skylar. We didn't talk about her at all. Yeah, she um, was awesome. But I loved, I loved Skylar, and I loved all his friends. Yeah, for yeah. sure. The friend group is amazing. It's just a... It, it's one of those movies that explores characters so well that when you leave the movie, you think that you knew them. Whereas like a lot of movies play through and it's like you didn't really get to know the character. They didn't do enough building. For whatever reason, it's like you lived in this universe for that two hour period. It's very, 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 very good. So it deserved every award it won. Five out of five. Bally Who's. 
And okay, guys, don't forget to stay around for Ryan's final thoughts. But we do first have to thank Kevin McLeod for all the music that we use on the show. You can find him and his royalty-free music at incompetech.com. And Ryan, thanks for talking with me every week. Thank you, Mike. Okay, so that was a pretty deep dive on the therapeutic relationship as portrayed in Goodwill Hunting. While we didn't get into every aspect of Will's history and relationships, I do want to leave you all with a couple of thoughts. First of all, assuming you are entering into therapy by choice and not forced into therapy like Will, you should never have to accept a relationship with a therapist you aren't comfortable with. Some initial slight discomfort is to be expected as you build trust with any therapist, but, and this should go without saying, but if a therapist ever threatens you or makes you physically uncomfortable, feel free to discontinue your relationship with that therapist immediately. As we mentioned in the episode, even though aspects of the therapy shown in Goodwill Hunting are true to life, it is also very unrealistic in terms of the timeline and the overly intimate relationship Sean and Will form over the course of their work together. While we can be happy for Will's progress, it should also be noted that progress in therapy can take months or sometimes even years in some cases. And therapy should never end as abruptly as it does for Will, as this can actually put patients in a position where they may regress. Finally, there's a lot of variety in how therapists work and what kind of relationships they establish with their patients. Don't be afraid to ask questions about your therapist's approach, treatment philosophy, or even their policy on treatment completion or discharge. Becoming familiar with your therapist in these areas will give you much more comfort and confidence that you can build a successful therapeutic relationship. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you, as always, to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at PopPsych101. We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. PopPsych101 is now on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.